This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. The old Mavim Malkus, the Minig here, as we speak about um, a Godel, whose yard site is going to be in the month to come. And um, this time I'd like to speak about somebody who... Whenever you open up a Gemara, you almost always meet him. The rush in the back of the Gemaras, and we always learn it together. The Taisa Rosh Taisis, the rush is almost always we, we look at it. And we have to ask ourselves, who was the rush? I mean, if you look at it, just, it seemed to be something just sat to learn. It, it, his history is incredible history. Um, it covers um, an extraordinary period of time in Kal Yisrael. And we'll try a little bit to, to, to um, tell about him. Like always, I think one of the most important things when you speak about biography history is, where do I know my material? Avru HaKadosh, but it doesn't go back 700 years ago. And where do I get my information from? So the book that puts it together the best is a book, it's about the rush from somebody named Avram Chaim uh, Freiman, put out Moser of Cook. He also, he lived, he was killed in 1948, actually. He also didn't have Ruch HaKodesh going back. We have three um, Mekoros for, for anything we know about the Rosh. One, the Rosh wrote a lot of Chuvas. And if you go through the Chuvas carefully, you pick up a lot of information about his, um, about the, uh, about his, what, what went on. Two, um, there's a sefer called Minchas Kanos, which was written by somebody who interacted a lot with the Rush. This person was a big Kanoi. He was very against the philosophy in Lemurichol in, in Spain. We'll talk about it later. And therefore, he asked the Rush to help him a lot. There were letters back and forth between him and the Rush and Rajba. So Minchas Kanos does have some of the Rush's own replies about different things that were happening. And we have one more document that's unusual. His son, Rabbi Yehuda ben Arash, wrote a tzavah to his children, which was printed together with his tshuvas, with the, with the Rabbi Yehuda ben Arash's tshuvas. And he goes through a little bit of the history. Um, when he speaks about his own history, he speaks about his father's history. So those are the three only reliable sources, but there's quite a bit, and we'll talk a lot about it. The, um, the Rush was born in 1250. The, the, um, as, the, as the Jews immigrated, emigrated out of Eretz Yisrael, so it, it, Italy was one of the places they went to. They went up north. And in France and in Germany, there was a, the major, or certainly a major, if not the major, Torah center, um, which was Rashi and the Balatoisvis. For about 200 years, they, the, the 1100s, the 1200s, um, that was the Torah center. And all the Torah that we have, we have Rashi, we have all the Balitois, we have a lot of Germans farmed, or Zerua and things like that. That was all in that 200 period of time. And with the rush, this is going to come to an end and move on to Spain. And that's why it's a pivotal point in the history of Torah and Klai Yisrael. The Rosh was born in 1250. The, um, 
he learned by his father, but his main rabbi, the one that, that is Rabbi Muvak, was called the Marami Rottenberg. The Marami Rottenberg was the last great Baltaisvis. He was the end of the Taisis era. He was the God Lador. We, or what we have from Marami Rottenberg is mentioned occasionally in Taisvis, but we have a huge amount of chuvis that have been published. They're a little erratic because it's, it, it's all these chuvis where people collected them. So we have different volumes, different ways, but he, he had an immense amount of chuvis. The Marami Rottenberg was basically seen as the the last Baltaisvis, and the Taisus Rush sort of as his Talmud, as an addendum to that. So he learned by him, and in and life started becoming slowly more and more difficult. In 1283, um, the uh, the there were a lot of Xeris in Germany, and the Rush felt that things are not going well, it's not going to be good. And he actually sent, almost like the Pusik, as Yehuda Shalach Lafan of Goishna, he sent his son Yehuda, who was young at the time, he sent him to, um, to Spain. And he actually was the one who helped his father later when he came to Spain to become established. He, um, the Marami Rottenbergs marched him tremendously. There's a place where the Marami Rottenberg, a letter where he asks, he, 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 he tells the, the Rush, that is, he's sick, he's not well, and he knows that if he dabbles for him, his tefillahs will be miscabble. That's the, for, for a rabbi to write that to a Talmud is tremendous. And a few other places where he writes with tremendous, um, you know, he, he asks him, there was a tremendous yachsus of covet from Rav Rottenberg to the Rosh. In 1286, the beginning of the end started, the Maram Rottenberg was put in jail. Um, the reason was because the German king felt that all German Jews belonged to him. Um, and he obviously wanted to squeeze everything for money. That was kind of the norm. He, you were not allowed to leave Germany without his permission because um, you belong to the king. You're stealing his property by leaving. So the Maratwick snuck out. He made it to Italy. He was going to go to Israel. And there was a Jewish Meshumet who found him, recognized him, and uh, was Moise him. And he schlepped him back to Germany. The king had him put in jail. And he asked for a ransom that would be worth um, millions of dollars today. That, that's, you know, the, the 20,000 German marks, which which um, by the Cheshm they make today was worth millions and millions of dollars. He was, the Rush got together a few others to raise money to get him out of jail. The Ryan Rottenberg refused. He said that it's a halacha, that you can't be paid the people for more than they're worth, so as not to encourage the Shabbat. And the Ryan Rottenberg stayed in jail till he died, and the king kept him afterwards. The king felt at least he could get some money for his bones. And it was years he laid there until finally a very wealthy man paid for his bones so that he could be buried next to him. There, there was always a little twist to these things. But the, but the Marian Rottenberg was put into jail in 1286. And in a certain sense, that, that was the, the, the uh, Stimus Agoil on German Jewry. Redifus started getting worse and worse. In 1293, the Maram 
was Nifta. That was seven years later. And in 1298, they had a horrible series of massacres called the Rindfleisch Xeris. Rindfleisch Xeris was, the word Rindfleisch means beef. Um, and somebody was Motzilaz that the Jews had desecrated the host, which is a, um, which is what the Christians or the Catholics used in their ceremonies, a piece of bread or whatever it is, and they just butchered Jews, destroyed communities, just a pogrom. Um, the word rinfleisch meaning beef, it wasn't clear if the person started was a butcher by trade or, or a butcher by the pogrom. But basically, that was, that was the, the, the first blow of, of, of pogroms, and there were pogroms afterwards and afterwards. Basically, things were falling apart. And in 1303, the, um, the rush felt he has to leave. It's, 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 it's gone. German jury is doomed, and it just got worse. There were the, plan, there was, it, it, they were, the communities were destroyed. For a long time, there wasn't anything doing there. He left, and the only place to go to was southwards. So Germany and France, in the north of France, was where the Baltices were. In Germany, that was adjacent to it, and that's where they were. He started going further south, and the first place that he went to, it's a natural line, is called Provence. I just want to horror about history. Um, we who drive and, and fly by plane, distances are not far. A few hundred miles is not far. You can fly in, you can drive a few hours. In those days, I mean, France that we have today would have been way too big of a country to manage. And France was a few countries. And Germany was a lot of countries. They, 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 were, they, were, they were aligned somehow. They had a, 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 an emperor, but it wasn't really, you, you, you couldn't have such a large mass uh, of land be one entity. So southern France was called Provence, and it was culturally extremely different than northern France. Um, if you take a look, some of the Sfarim we have, any Sfarim de Lunil, anything that's Lunil, Lunil, that was Montpellier, these were places in, in southern France. Southern France had a large Jewish issue. But the rush was there. They greeted him very warmly. They were macabre him. But he was kind of very put off at the low level of Talmud Torah over there. He didn't like it. He, he felt that they were not learned. And he moved on to Spain. Uh, he was, he first, his first stop in Spain was um, in uh, Barcelona. He was, that's where, in, that was in 1304. That's where he, he met the Rajba. The Rajba was living in Barcelona, and he was in his house for a week. They fabrang together, and he spent time there. Um, he ended up, a year later, he got a job based on the Rajba's extraordinary strong recommendation in Toledo. Toledo is not far from Madrid. It's very far. Barcelona is the north of Spain. This is the middle of Spain. In those days, Spain also. Spain wasn't a manageable country, so they had a, um, they had, uh, like a lot of kingdoms. There was Catalonia, and there was Aragon, and there was Andalusia, 
and 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 Toledo. All, all these places were like its own little countries. And he ended up in Toledo. At this point, he got a letter from the German ruler who missed him terribly because he, he used to ask him for advice. He was a very wise person to rush. And he told him if he'd come back, he'd protect him, take care of him, everything would be okay. And the rush politely declined the offer, basically. And, and you know, no, thanks, but no thanks. But something, there was something the rush took note of, which he writes later about. There was a tremendous divide between France, Germany, and if Provence, and different parts of Spain. France and Germany, as far as we have, are all shas poiskim halacha. You would be very hard put to find a philosophy safer coming from those countries. Um, Provence, Spain, people were extremely involved in the Goyesha um, culture. They studied philosophy a lot. You have a lot of poetry and philosophy um, emanating from there, even from. And, and there was also a lot of not. And, and there was very, very little learning Gemara and Paiskim. Um, we have a handful of, uh, but, but the, the Hamoinam, it was not. In France, the Germany learning was, it was Shas and Halacha. That was, that was learning in, in German France. This was not. And the Rush uh, set up a yeshiva where he taught um, Gemara and Chidushim of Taisvis and Halacha. In other words, it was something that bothered the Rush. The Rush was very, very bothered by it. He, he felt it. And he was culturally that way extremely different than the people in Spain. In Spain, there were many people who were, we would call them off the derech. They were totally into the Spanish culture. There was the philosophy, Jewish philosophy. And the problem was there were also a lot of people who got into philosophy and it, it distorted the Yiddishkeit. They started understanding the mitzvahs as symbols and when it's Avram doesn't mean Avram, Avram means the Kayach of this and Yitzhak means the Kayach of that and, 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 and Tzitzis means this. They, they allegorized the entire Torah mitzvahs and the Mela didn't keep Torah mitzvahs. That was rampant in, in Spain. It was People call Spain is you know the golden era of Spain. It was golden for people that were not into Torah mitzvahs, but Torah mitzvahs suffered a lot, and the rush felt it. The rush writes that he was put off, even in Provence, which was better. Provence is the southern part of France before you cross into Spain, and in Spain in different places also. So he ended up in Toledo. He opened up a yeshiva in Toledo. He became the rav there, and he um, and he. He had both his marriage, and he became recognized in short order as the Galadar, especially when the Rajba passed away. Um, his chuvas give us some very interesting insights. First of all, he had a, tr- a tremendous amount of... He was very stern. And when he felt that something threatened the good order... He was very, very strong about it and asserted himself. 
And some of the tshuvas memorable in this regard are as follows. Um, the king had allowed the Jewish community to run their own life, to punish perpetrators of different types in every way possible. They were allowed to fine them heavily. They were allowed to wound them, to maim them. Maiming people was a common punishment in those days. And to kill them. And it's interesting, at the beginning, the, the rush wasn't so much, he was like, kind of wary of it, he, but there are two memorable truths where he writes about the possibility of killing somebody. One of them was there was somebody who was a Moser, and he would constantly go to the courts and complain about Jews, that, that, that they're hiding money, they're hiding that, hiding this, hiding the other thing. And the rush writes that if you warn him three times, and he persists in doing it, and, it, and the Chubit says he, he invents lies and so on, then they should find a way to kill him. Writes it very clearly. And it's funny, what's interesting, it's, it's a mashmosis that the government allowed it. You, you know, you can run your own community, and if, and if the government killed people, they could also kill people. That's one Chubit, and that's sort of, I guess, is, is expected in a certain sense. This person was a threat. He threatened many other people's lives. He had a dinner of a rodef. And, and it kind of sets him up in terms of a rodef. Um, but a second case is, is extraordinarily surprising. There was somebody that sent him, a, somebody wrote a shayla where this person was a rub of some town, and he felt that the way the Arabs are done are puzzle, and therefore he puzzled his town's Arab. He said, any Arab, it's impossible to make an Arab with this goyim there. And therefore, he, um, he said, there's no thing as an Erev. So the Rush writes a furious tshuva that, that the person doesn't know what he's talking about. He, every point that the person makes, he refutes. He says, it's nonsense. And he writes, at the end, he says, and if this person keeps on with his narishkaiten, he has a dinner of a zakam mamre, and he should be put to death. That's what he writes. Um, very, very strong. Um, again, I'm not sure... He, he felt that this person with his quote-unquote chumrah, which was totally baseless, unfound, is actually being gorim al-archil Shabbos. And if, and if it'll catch on, you'll have many people. People will carry no matter what. There's no Erev, and it'll be chil Shabbos. But the Rush writes, he, he, he calls him Meshugana, and he says if he keeps, if he persists, he's a Zak Mamre, and he should be put to death. Those were two very extraordinary tshuvas in terms of the severity. Another tshuva that's kind of very fascinating, somebody had written, somebody, um, it, it, there was a, a marriage where somebody wrote up uh, in Arabic a set of rules and regulations about how his property should be sold if he dies, if his wife dies, in other words, there was a standard takana, and somebody had written in Arabic overriding the takana, and, and you know, in his own, in his, uh, the way he wanted it. The question came in front of the rush, and the, the person who brought the question to him had translated that document. The person who made the document, the person, the person who was, he must have been some mediator or something, had written out the whole translated document, brought it to the rush, and the rush decided whatever he decided in the issue. 
this person disagreed, and he writes with all due respect to the Rosh, but a shy like this should be paskined by somebody who is both Talmud Chacham and knows Arabic extremely well, and not only regular Arabic, but classical Arabic, because that's what it's written in. And he writes, and the, the Rosh took it as a big chutzpah, and he writes back to him. It's interesting, in, in, the, in, the, in the tshuva, he quotes him entirely. He writes back to him and says, listen. He says, um, in terms of learning, I know that you don't know anything. So that's, so you certainly, 50% of the qualifications you write, you don't have. In terms of knowing Arabic, it's your translation. So if it's not good, then you strike out on the second count as well. I'm using your translation. And based on your translation, what you're saying is absolute nonsense. So, so, and he writes on every single point, very, very sharp, very strong. And, and um, he, 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 he was very stark about his things. In, in one or two other tshuvas he has um, about minhagim, that he felt were bad minhagim. Um, for instance, he writes that in, in Spain, the noyeg to sweep the floors, we're talking about dirt floors. He said um, in France and Germany, they acid it. But he said, telling them won't help, they're not going to listen to me. So, mutav shiyushayigigin. But he said they're not going to listen to him. They used to, the tour brings. They used to say on Friday night also Baruch Hashem Amen Bamein. He held us a brachal batola, and he said also that it's, he, in his own little shul he could he could he was able to sway them, but in the big in the in the big community he they, they didn't listen to him. They were very they felt he was an outsider. He was come from <coughs> Germany and he doesn't understand Spain and they refused to listen to him. Those were some of the more interesting chuvas. But the big issue was the issue that we're talking about the philosophy. And here the Rush did have a very central role. The, the, remember, the Rush came from a place where A, the only learning was learning, Shas and Paiskim, and Shmir's Mitzvahs was Kiriboy. I mean, there may or may not have been people who, there, there may or may not have been people who didn't keep mitzvahs, but, but nobody made a sheet out of it. Spain at that time was, learning, learning was kind of very weak. People were very into philosophy. People were very into secular philosophy and using it as a lens to understand Torah mitzvahs and B'meila abandoning Torah mitzvahs. The, 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 st- the, stat- the state of Shmiros mitzvahs was very wretched. There was a Yid Abamari who went on a campaign to Asa learning philosophy. Now, Asa learning, Asa learning philosophy in those days had as much chance as an Issa on the internet today. <laughs> the same, the, maybe into a little more interesting philosophy, but I can him, those people, I think, were, did, did like philosophy a lot. And so Abba Murray is sort of a kanoi, and he wrote up a lot of his correspondence with different dolim and in, a, in the Sefer called Melskanos, and it's, an, it's a remarkable window into history. The Rajba was the Godlador. The Rajba <coughs> tried to keep out of it. Again, it was something that I think the feeling was it's not going to be very popular, it's not going to go well, and sort of uh, what's the point of having that fight? So the Rush 
so as soon as the rush came, the Sabamari latched onto the rush. You know, he's got a new person to 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 to, to deal with. At, so the rush at first writes something interesting. It, it, it's it's apparent that he obviously he didn't understand the 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 the, the what was going on, and he says, "Well, let's have a meeting with those people." And let's work out a pshara where everybody will spend a big part of their learning, and then they can also learn a little bit of philosophy, which, which was, it, it didn't seem to be Shayasta. As he stayed longer, the rush became a much bigger kadnoi, and they, the, the, the Rashba finally came out with a cherem that nobody under the age of 25 is allowed to learn philosophy. Him and many others signed on it. The rush writes, when someone asked him about it, he said, I have mixed feelings because the implication is after 25, you can learn philosophy, and I think that's also wrong. But he said, what do I do? I'll, I'll, it's better than nothing. But the rush obviously was a very big canoe on it and, um, and uh, decided, you know, but, but, but he, but, he had no other choice. But he, he writes very strongly about it, and, and later on his, his letters and things about it become very sharp. And he was um, a, a very important voice because after the Rajput, he was the Galadar. The um, Sfarim that we have, there's one more interesting tshuva. Um, there's a case, there was a very, very complicated case that went from Bezin to the Goyesha courts. And the Goyesha courts also couldn't, they, they couldn't get a handle on it. It was so complicated. And the queen wrote a personal note to him asking him that he should adjudicate the case and, and take it on. He wasn't so happy, he didn't want to take it on, but the Queen said she feels he's the only person in the country that could adjudicate it, and he should. Um, since he writes on the Queen, you know, in the normal, the normal um, phrase that you write on the Queen, on the King, is Yoram Hoidoy. He writes, the Queen this and this, Minoshim Ba'oyal Tevarech. That's usually reserved for tzaddikis. I don't know exactly about that queen in Spain, but it's interesting. I found that interesting to, that he writes it like that. The rush himself left over the following sfar. The, the, the rush on all of Shas, which is interesting. We, he had the riff. Obviously, he brings the riff. But it's, it's a condensation of Gemara, but the big difference in him and the Riff is the Riff has only the, the, the Gemara and occasionally, occasionally a Machlekes of Goinim. Very occasionally, that's it. The Riff incorporates Divrei Toisvis. In other words, Toisvis becomes Halacha to us through the Rush. The Rush took Toisvis, which is Derek Pilpul, Chakavataria, made Halacha out of it. And we have that and all of Shas, that's incredible. The Rush wrote a Pirush on Mishnayis, um, which we have some of it in, 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 in Tyrus, in Zeroim. I'm not sure if, if the Pshadis, he only wrote it on there, or he wrote everything, they only have it there. The Rush wrote a Pirush on Shas. We have it on the Durham, like Rashi. I don't know, again, if he wrote it just on the Durham because there was no Rashi there, or he wrote it on, on all of Shas, and we don't have it, they didn't print it, I don't know. But, but he did write those Pirushim. The Rush wrote Chuvis, which is um, which we have now. They were put together in a bit of an st- unusual way. They're put together as klolim. In other words, a klal is a bunch of chuvis 
different times, different places, but that deal with a common topic. Whoever put it together, put it together that way. Durash wrote a small Musa Sefer, Orches Chaim, which Rav Reingold learns every El with the Elam. It's, it was a very, it's a very small, it's like very short, it's like different things to do every day, and very short and small, but with a lot of token to it, if you, if you learn it correctly. And that became very popular, like doing El to learn and to take one sentence, one hug each day, and to discuss it. He wrote on Chumash, but it's very hard to figure it out. There are like three, four, five different Likutim of Bali Taisvis on Chumash. Um, Hadar's Kenim, Moshev's Kenim, Pirush Rosh He definitely wrote a Pirushim, and it's definitely um, in it, but what he wrote exactly, which one is on, unclear. The Taisvis Arash is actually Shi'urim that he said in Yeshiva. Um, and there's a, there's a document in the Tshuvas, very fascinating document, where um, the Tshuvas about somebody who um, was married, went on a trip, and disappeared. Aguna case. And the, there's an aidus of somebody who met with this person, and this person fell ill while he was there, and it was Nifta. So the, the person who, who wrote this testimony was reliable. The question was, how do I identify that this was actually the same person? So in the Tshuva, it's written, he said that I, so-so came and said, I was in this, this inn, and I met a young person named Rev Asher. His, the Talmud's name was also Rev Asher. And, he sh- and we were schmoozing. And he showed me a, um, a, a, a certificate that, you, that, that, that the rush sign that he had learned in his yeshiva. I don't know if they got credits in those days or BTL, but whatever it was, <laughs> he actually had a certificate. And he showed me some of the chidushim, some of the toysvises that, that the Rav had learned in his share, that the Rosh had learned in his share. And based on that level of identification, he, he was able to... to to accept his aidus. So it was fascinating. Toysa Rosh were actually Shu'urim that was said in Yeshiva. Um, and the, um, and it's, somehow it seems as if the Rosh gave uh, some certificate of some sort that a person learned by him. Not clear what, what it is. It, it just said he, he, he showed him a, 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 a note that had been signed by the Rosh himself that he was a Talmud, that had been a Talmud as Yeshiva. The Rosh himself was Nifta in 1327, Tes in 1327. Um, it means the yard said it'll be in a week, in this week. There's one um, sad uh, epilogue to it. In 1491, um, the, the, the people in Spain knew that the end is near and things are really gone. The Scanum of Toledo decided to destroy the cemetery in Toledo so that the Goyim don't desecrate it. Um, so they totally got rid of all the Matzevis and plowed it up, and we don't have a Zecha anymore of the Russia's caver, even though we know which city it was, we know exactly everything about it, but in 1491 they destroyed, the Jews destroyed all the Matzevis because they were afraid that the game would make, put uh, Salem's on, who knows what. al so we don't have the caver, but we have the rush. we have the rush in the back of the Gemara, which is unthinkable to have a Gemara without a rush. 
We have Tosis Arash, which we share. We use it all the time to enlighten us um, uh, to, about the Rush himself. We have the Tshuvas Rush, which are the tour brings them constantly. Obviously, it's his son. The tour was his son. And um, he, uh, he, he, the Tshuvas Rush, each one is, is you know, it's a, 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 as, as a marker for Psaka Tshuvas Rush, is very important. We have the Orchus Chaim Rush, which is um, a, an invaluable Musa Sefer, learned many times, many, many different uh, Bali Musa used it. And, uh, and this was really the change where basically this was the end of that coup of German-French Jewry. There wouldn't be a Chashva Yisra for a long time. And it transitioned. He brought, a, he brought a lot of the strength of French and German Jewry to Spain. The Dagesh on Tamatera, the cleaning up shop in this mishmash of philosophy and mitzvahs and Torah and Alafim and the whole thing. And uh, this this sort of sealed one one Eric Israel of German uh, Torah jury German jury, and it it enriched and gave us a whole new um, level of Torah coming from Spain and so on. Is it